Well, it's great to be here at Gateway in North Austin. Thanks for having me, and hello to everybody at Gateway Online. I'm just wondering, since I've been here, uh, last I was here was in June, anything new happening at Gateway? Uh, if you didn't hear, uh, we're so excited. Uh, John and Kathy Burke announced uh, a new season. I'm really excited for them. I think they're gonna just do amazing things in reaching the nations as they take on more writing projects and speaking projects. And the great news is they'll still be here with us. And I'm super excited about Carlos Ortiz becoming our new senior pastor in May, 2023. Yeah. Carlos and Libby and their family have been such a blessing to us, a gift to us. And I'm telling you, Gateway, our future looks bright. And I wanna also say this to you. As an individual, I believe your future is bright. We're talking about flourishing, about experiencing the fullness of life that God has for us. And we have a survey to gauge where we're at. If you haven't already done the survey, you should see it on your email newsletter. Or you can see it up on the screen. Just get it ready for later and take a few minutes to go through the survey today. And next week and the week after, we'll share some of the results of how we're flourishing and areas we need to work on. But we were inspired by a project out of Harvard University called the Human Flourishing Program. It was put together by the Institute for Qualitative Social Science. And through all their research, trying to figure out what helps people thrive in this fast-paced world, what they discovered were several really remarkable things. And so many of them were actually what we're supposed to be doing as taught from the scriptures. And so we wanna take a look at that. And I wanna give you today, as we're talking about being mentally and physically healthy, I wanna just give you a couple of the questions so you can just assess yourself very quickly. So from zero being poor to 10 being excellent, in general, how would you rate your physical health? And then I want you to answer this question, how would you rate your overall mental health? Today, I'm talking about becoming healthier physically and mentally. Last week, we talked about flourishing in our relationships. Next week will be about flourishing financially. Then we'll talk about flourishing in our purpose. And you may be wondering, why did John and Carlos ask me to speak on being healthy physically and mentally? <laughs> I'm not one of those pastors who wears a shirt too small and their biceps are busting out. That's not me, right? And some of you who know me or follow me on Instagram or Facebook may be wondering, wait a minute, aren't you the guy that's trying to find the best fish and chips in Austin, Texas? <laughs> and yes, that is me. Hashtag on a delicious mission. Uh, the best that I found, most authentic, was at Kenny Fort Pub, which is in Round Rock. But my favorite, number one on the list, is Vincent's in South Austin. Give you a couple others just for fun in case you're keeping track. Garbo's in North Austin, Foxy's Proper Pub, downtown, other good fish and chips. But no, it's not because of that that they asked me. And some of you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, aren't you the guy who talks about the fast food conspiracy? <laughs> and yes, that is also me. Yes, I am a connoisseur of fast food restaurants. In fact, I learned this conspiracy from my great uh, late Uncle Dale Kohler. He's not actually my great uncle. He is my uncle, but he's one of the kindest and funniest people I know. And he shared this with me, and, and I've added to it. But if you pay close attention, the fast food industry has a spiritual agenda. Let me give you some examples. in and out How many of you love in and out A few of us who moved here from California. 
And, and I love In-N-Out. My favorite is animal style. And if you look under the cups, you'll be surprised to see Bible verses. It's true. Yeah, go check it out. Or how about this one? McDonald's. What do we call this logo? The golden arches. And where do you find golden arches? In heaven. So the more you eat at McDonald's, the faster you go to heaven. You see? Now you know. Or how about this one? It's too obvious. Church is chicken. They're not even trying to hide it. It's got the star of David there at the top. Or how about on the other side of the spiritual realm? You have Subway. What do you, what do you see there? That looks like the devil's tail there on the Y. And where is the subway located? Underground, right? Now, you may not know this, but in Austin, only 13% of our population attends church on Sunday. And in South Austin, where I live, it's even fewer. There's actually a coffee shop called Joe's, and every Sunday they have Sinner's Brunch. And there's a taco place called Maria's that for years used to have hippie church on Sundays at 11. And instead of worship songs, they would just sing songs by the eagles with their tambourines, right? <laughs> now, you are familiar with this one, though. This is a very popular restaurant. It's called Torchies. It didn't just start in Austin, spreading everywhere, and that's a little demon. I don't know if you know that. A little demon there. Or when we first moved into our house in South Austin, originally we were along South Lamar, and across the street was this place. It's called Dog Almighty. Oh, all right. <laughs> Need more evidence? How about this unholy trinity? How are these three together in one spot? Now, recently Popeyes changed their logo, but Garrett, help me find the, the original one, at least the one where this became obvious. Take a look at Popeyes. Notice carefully, it doesn't say Popeyes. It says Pope, yes. Do you see it? It's right there. That's right. Apparently, Pope Francis likes his chicken and biscuits. And finally, here's another one, Jack in the Box. Again, this is not the logo they use now. They're trying to uh, shake us. But notice carefully, that does not say Jack in the Box. It says Jack in the Bejesus Fish. It's right there. Do you see it? Now you know, and knowing is half the battle, right? And some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute. If you love fast food and fish and chips, aren't you also the pastor that's talked about his struggle with anxiety? Yes, that is also me. In fact, I have struggled with self-control when it comes to eating. In fact, at one point when I was 38 years old, I had to have back surgery because I was not taking good care of myself. And I have struggled over the years with panic attacks and catastrophizing in my mind and anxiety and allowing it to even lead to having a short temper and blowing up, making people cry at work. But I've found hope and made progress. In fact, these last 12 years almost that I've been here in Austin, I've grown so much at Gateway. And a part of that was going through recovery. We now call it Restore. And learning some things that I, I want to share with you today, things that are ripped right from the pages of Scripture. There's a little secret that I want to help you know that's helped me tremendously. And it's simply this. If you don't hear anything else I say today, make sure you remember this. Everything is spiritual. See, all aspects of our lives are interconnected. And becoming healthy spiritually can actually lead us to become more healthy physically and mentally. Let me explain. 
Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And of all the 611 commandments in the Old Testament, he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. See, when we're connected to God, he brings life to our heart, to our soul, and to our mind. And God is love. And so when we enter into a relationship with him, we experience his love, and that love bubbles up and out of our life so that we can love others around us and even learn to love ourselves. When I was in my 20s, I was having a conversation with an older pastor, and he was trying to help me with my priorities and gave me this framework. He asked me, okay, what are your top four priorities? And I told him, God, because he was a pastor. Two is my family, my, my wife. Then three, my family. And then four is my career, my job, my ministry. And he said, actually, that's not how your priorities should be. He said, number one should be your marriage. Number two should be your family. Number three should be your career. And God should be at the center of all of those, guiding you in every single one of them. You see, I was compartmentalizing my life. God is inviting us into a relationship, not to just be part of our life. He is the source of life. He's to be the center of our life. But too often we compartmentalize our life. That means we're one way on Friday night, a completely different way on Sunday morning. We're one way at work and a different way at home. But the scriptures point towards a life of integrity. Integrity means what's on the inside matches what's on the outside, that you're the same person everywhere you go. When we lack integrity, it's because we're compartmentalizing our life. It's because we're living fragmented lives. And the opposite of integrity is disintegration. In essence, our lives are slowly falling apart. And God cares for you and he's inviting you into a relationship and he wants to guide you to make wise choices to protect us from what's harmful and destructive. And God cares for our health. I mean, we can see as Jesus walked among us, he healed people physically and mentally. And sometimes God would heal instantaneously and sometimes it would take a journey towards that healing. The problem is, too many people who call themselves Christians lack integrity. They may have the facts about Jesus in their heads, but they don't have the love of Jesus in their hearts. And it's for this reason that some of us struggle with faith. It's not because of the teachings of Jesus. It's because people who call themselves Christians are so unkind to people who are oppressed or overlooked. See, the church is too often known for being judgmental and hypocritical and political, but that's not who we're supposed to be. If you're here and you struggle or you're watching online and you struggle with faith because of what Christians have done, I just wanna say I am incredibly sorry. We have misrepresented Jesus. But I also wanna encourage you, don't let the evil choices of other people keep you from the God who loves you. I mean, what if there is more to this life than what we can see and hear and touch and taste? What if there is a spiritual realm? What if there is a loving God who desires a relationship with you? What if there is life after death? What if there is a new life he offers where we can experience his love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control? 
Whether you call yourself a Christian or you're still unsure, I want to ask you, are you open to more in life? Even if you're in a great place with God, I believe he has more for you and me. Don't settle for Jesus being part of your life. Ask him to be the center of your life. Surrender how we live our life to God so that he can direct us and guide us. There are several examples from the scriptures I wanna walk us through of how God is concerned with our physical and mental health. Many of these are from the Apostle Paul. See, Paul was a church planter and spiritual mentor, and he wrote letters to those he was investing in, and he was writing about important matters about how you can live life as a follower of Jesus in this broken world, which is why we read from a lot of his letters. In 1 Corinthians 10, he writes these words. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. See, God cares about what we eat, about what we drink, about what we watch, about what we do. And he's willing to guide us in that. My wife, Deborah, had a dream several years ago in which it became very obvious to her from what happened in the dream that what she was eating and how much she was eating was important to God. And so she told me she was going to resolve from that point forward to only eat when she was hungry and stop when she's full. And I've been amazed at her discipline in that. The meals she skipped because of that. The, the times where she's just stopped at mid-meal. And, and I tell you, maybe for some of you, that's all you need to know is, okay, I'm gonna try that. I'm gonna only eat when I'm hungry and stop when I'm full. Others of you, maybe you're like me. I never quite wait till I'm hungry. I don't even remember what it's like to feel hunger sometimes. And then I usually don't know I'm full until an hour after when I'm full of regret for all the things I ate, right? I also struggle with a sugar addiction and a scarcity mentality. This was most obvious when we went to Krispy Kreme Donuts for the very first time. And that hot now sign was on. First time I had a Krispy Kreme, I had seven. And during the seventh, my wife was like, why aren't you stopping? And I said, because they're still warm, right? <laughs> they're not always warm. And so sometimes I've had to fast from sugar. And fasting gives you a chance to lay something aside for a season. And every time you think of it, you pray. It's a reminder to connect with God. And my prayer life grows exponentially when I fast from sugar. But I have to admit, sometimes I fast from sugar for 40 days, and then the next 40 days, I only eat sugar. <laughs> but see, God has gently reminded me that in my freedom, I need to choose wisely. Again, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, this time chapter six, he writes this. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Is there anything in your life that has mastered you? It could be something you eat, something you drink, something you watch, something you do. And here's how you can tell. First, someone may have said, you're doing that too much. But the other way you can tell is, if you're uncertain, just give it up for 40 days. And if you're unable to give it up, it's moved from something you enjoy to an addiction. About five years ago, I went on a sabbatical and my plan was to go offline for six weeks. In the end, I was offline for four weeks and it was liberating, it was amazing. I'm telling you, everywhere I went, I was the only person not looking at a phone. It was amazing. 
but it took me two weeks to finally actually get off the internet. It was incredibly difficult. I had a friend in my community group this last week. It's an online men's group. And he told me that after the end of a long day, he would have a glass of wine. And at the end of a great day, he would celebrate with a glass of wine. And him and his wife decided they were becoming more too dependent on wine. And so they just decided no alcohol at the beginning of the year for 40 days. And they were so amazed at how much better they felt, how much better they treated each other, how much better they parented, how much more energy they had. They decided to just continue their fast through the entire year. Are there things in your life that you go to for comfort, to relieve stress, to get away from the problems of life? It's possible those things that you enjoy could become an addiction if you're not careful. Just take a break. See if you can go a whole week without TV or a whole week without the news or whatever it may be that you go to to relieve stress and comfort, to find comfort, to get away from the problems of this world. And instead, learn to go to God. Every time whatever you're fasting from comes to mind, it's a reminder to pray. And maybe it's just to get out of the house and go on a prayer walk. Maybe it's to go to your favorite passage of scripture. Maybe it's to reach out to a friend from your gateway group. We can learn to replace bad habits with good habits. And maybe you're here and you're scoring a 10 on physical health and mental health. That's fantastic. If that's you, then I need to ask you, who are you helping along in their journey? You see, I believe that God wants us to make progress, and part of that progress includes helping people who might be a half step behind us. Who are the people you're investing in spiritually? Who are the people you are mentoring? Well, God also gently reminded me that my body is not my own. My body is a temple. 1 Corinthians 6 continues. You save food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when Jesus is our leader, our bodies actually become his temple. The Holy Spirit comes to live within us. Now, the scriptures show us this progression. It starts where heaven meets earth in the Garden of Eden. God and humanity dwelled in the same place. But then from Eden, there was a freedom and humanity walked away from God. And so God shows up by choosing a family and he dwelled among his people in the tabernacle. And then the people became a nation and God met with the people at the temple. Heaven met earth. But then God came as a person and his name is Jesus. Heaven came to earth, the fullness of God within him. But then after Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, the scriptures say that the spirit of God comes to live within us and now we are the body of Christ. We represent Jesus wherever we go. We are like little temples carrying him, bringing more of heaven to earth everywhere we go. And when Jesus returns, everything will be made right and there will be a new heaven and new earth, heaven and earth coming back together. Are you asking God to guide you in what you're eating, what you're drinking, what you're watching, what you're doing? Now, your issue may not be the same as my issue. I struggle with self-control when it comes to eating. But you might struggle with worshiping the temple rather than the God of the temple. 
Maybe you worry too much about your health and fitness. Paul warns us, he says this, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Make sure you're not neglecting your spiritual life. And some of us may struggle with eating disorders or may have suffered from body shaming. When I was in college, I was very eager to have uh, that second growth spurt. My mom is four feet, 11 inches tall, and her brother is six feet tall. And their parents were five, six, and five, three. So I had to ask my uncle, how did you get to be so tall? And he said, well, I ate lots of peanut butter, I drank lots of milk, and I would dangle from the monkey bars for a long time. <laughs> when I'm in college, I'm not planning on dangling from the monkey bars, but I did have a meal pass. So I started having four eight-ounce glasses of milk, whole milk, at every meal. And your body is not really designed to digest that much milk. I discovered soon after, instead of just drinking milk, milk with my meal, my meal became milk. Eventually, I could hardly stay awake when studying. I couldn't stay awake in class, and then it became dangerous. I couldn't stay awake when riding my bicycle to class. And so I had to quit my milk binge. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and telling her how disappointed I was that I was not gonna have this other growth spurt. And she looked at me, and I'll never forget what she said. She said, Eric, I can't help but think that God created you just the way he wants you to be. I find you to be far more approachable than guys who might be bigger or taller than you. It was the first time I'd ever connected what I looked like with my calling in life. You see, I've struggled over the years, especially when I was younger, with what I look like and the family from which I come from. I mean, in our teenage years, we all kind of go through that. We want nothing to do with our parents. We don't want to be anything like our parents until we become parents and suddenly realize how wise our parents truly were. And many of us come to peace with our background. And if that's not where you're at, I want to encourage you to keep working towards that. My relationship with God helped me move from not liking what I looked like or where I came from to actually becoming content and eventually even grateful. Now, this is an uphill battle because the world is constantly bombarding us with messages that you are not enough. And our teenagers are getting the brunt of it, struggling with their identity and at young age and in extreme ways. This last week on Thursday, every Thursday during the series, we're we're giving you a bonus podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, I encourage you to go and do that. But Andrea Wiggins, one of our spiritual overseers and a fitness trainer, along with Gloria Mann from Gateway Pflugerville and a licensed professional counselor and supervisor, shared some of their insights on this very topic. You can subscribe to our podcast or even go to YouTube, to our channel and catch up with us. But here's a snippet of what they shared. me to step more into who God created me to be. And so once I found the appreciation for how he created me and how he wired me, then I was able to really show up in my life a lot differently. Mm. Um, and when you show up in your life differently, you can empower others in the same way. And so you can't really divorce the physical from mm. the spiritual because we, um, God created us and he wired us and made us all in very specific ways and very unique ways. And so he spent so much time creating us and that it's, this is the way we honor him by taking care of mm. his creation. And so 
sometimes we forget that, I forget that. Sometimes I get lost in what it looks like to the world or what the world says um, perfection or beauty looks like. God has created all of us, and so that includes physical mm -hmm. health and mental health. And I mean, one of the initial questions I often ask clients when I first meet them is like, how are you taking care of yourself physically? Mm -hmm. Because if you're not physically taking care of yourself, you're not mentally taking care of yourself. Mm -hmm. And then you're also like unable to also be spiritually healthy. Mm -hmm. And so they are all so intertwined that it's really hard to break those mm -hmm. apart. Yeah. You know, it was in college that I discovered a passage of scripture that's really impacted me. In fact, I wanna encourage you to spend time reading all of Psalm 139. Maybe even meditate on it, memorize some of it. I wanna give you just a snippet of it. It says this, talking to God, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. So if no one has ever told you, let me be the first, I believe God created you just the way you are for what he's calling you to do and to become. God loves you and you can trust him. He created you on purpose and with a purpose. And he wants you to know him personally, not head knowledge, but experiential knowledge that you experience his peace and his presence, that you experience him as he can be closer than a brother, your heavenly father, able to meet the longings you have that could never be met by the best parent, spouse, or friend. You can trust that God created you just as you are and he can help you become the best version of who he created you to be. And some of us might struggle with trusting God because of our family of origin, because of our background, because of some of the struggles we've had since we were born. And if that's you, I wanna encourage you, just be honest with God about that. He can guide you towards healing. We may never understand on this side of eternity why we faced or struggled or encountered some of the difficulties or people that hurt us. We end up suffering because of the evil choices of others, but here's what's amazing. In the midst of our worst moments, God mourned with us. He hurt with you. He even gave his life dying on the cross to rescue you, and he can heal you. He can help your greatest moments of pain become areas of strength as you begin to help others struggling with those same things. Only God can bring good out of evil. When we trust him, he can do that. I know too many people who have suffered abuse only to grow up and find healing and bring healing to those they know that are suffering from abuse. I know too many people who have struggled with addiction who now are helping others struggle with addiction. I know so many people who have seen the greatest moment of pain become the greatest moment of overcoming. But it happens in the context of a relationship with God, reorienting and healing us. I wonder, have you ever considered that God may have put you in the exact family that you are in so that you might have the best opportunity to find him and then help everyone older than you and everyone who comes after you come to know him as well? See, the Harvard Flourishing Program 
gives us some cognitive exercises. And these exercises I'm about to share with you are exactly what I just described happening in my own life that I encourage you to, to pursue in your life. And they are these three things. To, discern, to learn how to be grateful, to savor and recognize the good in life, and to imagine one's best possible self. See, for me, to become the best version of me has required God's help. On my own, I make progress only to fall back further than I was before. But connecting with God has helped me move forward faster. So you and I live in a time where there are more unhealthy temptations that adversely affect our mental and physical health than there have ever been. But the good news is we are more aware of what's healthy and what's not healthy than ever before. But I believe with God's help, he can guide you towards a path of health, which might include connecting to community so you have help and accountability, seeing a doctor and discovering that there are actually some medical advancements that can help you or seeing a counselor in order to have help along the way. See, we say no perfect people allowed at Gateway because we know the only way to make progress is to be honest with where you're at. If you don't admit you have a problem, then you're never gonna overcome that problem. If you don't admit you need help, then you're never gonna get the help you need. And if you don't think you have any issues or any blind spots, just ask the people who love you the most. They'll be honest, they'll tell you. But we need to realize that you can still, you can love Jesus and still struggle with your health. You need to be honest about that. Rich Viotas, a pastor from Brooklyn, author of the book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in a Fractured World, writes this. One of the great tragedies of depression is the isolation and shame people carry as a result. We need communities of faith that normalize depression. Life is hard. At some point, we break. Depression is not a sign of weak faith. It's a sign that we are human and in need of support. See, the scriptures tell us a great deal about our mind. Romans 2 focuses on becoming a living sacrifice so that we can renew our mind. See, God wants to give us a different perspective than what we have. In fact, one of the things that the Human Flourishing Program talks about in order to overcome sadness and depression and anxiety and fear and rage, anger, is forgiveness. Something the Bible talks about all the time. Tragically, this last Thursday morning, early, my dad died. He had been playing pickleball and mowing his yard, 74 years old, all through the spring, very active. And we knew he was struggling with his memory, but when we heard the diagnosis of Alzheimer's, we thought, well, we still have a long time. But by June, we also discovered he also had cancer. And it just seemed to hit him so quickly. And I should tell you that years ago, my dad and I struggled to understand each other. But eventually, I, I began to look backwards with different perspective. God was renewing my mind, and I began to see that my dad loves me and is proud of me. He may just not express it the way I was looking for. But I also have to say that some of these painful moments with my dad, I was 12, 13, 14 years old. I don't want to be judged by the mind of a 12, 13, or 14-year-old. And he was also in his early 30s. I don't want to be judged by who I was in my 30s forever. Sometimes we hold people hostage to their worst moments. 
And so on Tuesday morning, I drove the hour and 15 minutes to see my dad one last time, having been told that we weren't sure how much longer. We'd spent all last weekend with him, thinking it might be then. But Tuesday morning, I, I held his hand. I don't know how much he was able to hear me say. He was in such a weak state at that point. But I said to him, Dad, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for any wasted years, any years when I kept distance from you. Forgive me for anything I've said that may have embarrassed you or hurt you, anything I didn't say or do. And I want you to know I forgive you. I know you did the absolute best and you were an amazing dad. I'm so glad I had that moment with him. I wanna just ask you, who do you need to forgive? Sometimes we have such bitterness within us and we don't realize that bitterness is actually hurting us. Forgiving doesn't mean excusing. It means releasing them from that moment, seeing through the eyes of God. Who do you need to forgive? We waste too much time harboring silly grudges. And it may be that we're anxious. We're not sure what we can say or what we shouldn't say. The scriptures also speak to anxiety. It says, don't be anxious about anything in Philippians 4. Instead, with thanksgiving, with gratitude, God can reshape how we see things, that we take the negativity, replace it with whatever's true and noble and lovely. And look what happens. When we grow in our faith, we discover more and more 1 Corinthians 2, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. We have access to God and his thoughts of us and his, how he wants us to see others. The flourishing program from Harvard also points towards following the following to help us make progress. Acts of kindness, virtuous action, volunteering, and being involved in a church. In fact, there was an article that came out from another Harvard study that said regularly attending religious services is associated with lower risk of deaths of despair. That's why we try to encourage you to come every single week. This is a place where you can grow with us, serve with us, heal with us. A place where you can belong. God is calling us to so much more than what we've experienced. If you're healthy, help others get healthy. If you need help, ask for help. I believe that God has a next step for each and every one of us. Just ask him to speak to you during this next song. Maybe it's to take your physical health more seriously. Maybe it's to fast from something that's become an addiction or something you go to too much. Maybe it's joining a group. We have new community groups. We have Restored just about to begin. Maybe it's to go see a doctor, go see a counselor. Maybe it's to start growing spiritually, spending time in the scriptures with that resource digging deeper that can help you. But this next song, it's called Sound Mind. And as you listen to it, I want you to connect your heart to God. Let him speak to you. One of the lyrics is this, you saved, healed, delivered me, Jesus' blood wash over me. And it may seem weird that we're talking about Jesus's blood, but you have to understand that 2,000 years ago when Jesus died, he actually shed his blood and something happened in the spiritual realm. 
It's because of the blood he shed that we have access to forgiveness from God. We all know something must be done and he did it for us, taking upon himself all the wickedness of humanity. But the beauty is he rose from the dead. We can be forgiven when we ask for forgiveness of all of our mistakes and sins and evil choices. But there's another line that says, command my soul, awake, arise, use each breath to prophesy. To prophesy means to proclaim what is true. In essence, in this song, we are asking God to heal us, to rescue us, to cleanse us, to forgive us, but also to wake us up, to breathe into us what is true of who he's created us to be. So during this song, let God speak to you about what is the next step he has for you.